Jenkin. I'm Caroline Spellman. I'm Maria Miller. I'm Caroline Dynage. Hello, I'm Margot James. Thanks for joining Women's Parliamentary Radio today to look both back and forwards at how the Conservative Party is tackling the issue of increasing women's representation in Westminster. And to kick off with some of the important facts, my co-presenter, Deborah McGurran. Thanks, Linda. Now, last election, the percentage of women among Conservative MPs rose from 47 to 68, which puts it at 21% of the party, while Labour is at 43%. It now has 99 women MPs. That's up from 87. Meanwhile, the Liberal Democrats dropped from 7 to 0. So that means there are currently 191 female MPs out of a total 650 members of Parliament. That's 29% up from 22% in the previous election. That's a record high. But could more be done to encourage women to become MPs? Is it really an attractive job with its antisocial hours and ever-increasing workload, not to mention the many days and nights you must spend away from your home and possible caring responsibilities. Maybe that's why it's often called a vacation rather than a profession. 25% of ministers are women, which is the same proportion as before the election, but the percentage is higher in the Cabinet. Increasing the number of women around the top table was a promise David Cameron made before the 2015 election. Now, women occupy seven out of 22 cabinet posts. That's 32%. And of the eight ministers who also attend cabinet, three of them are women. Well, here with us in Westminster today, in the order in which they were elected into the Commons, is our panel. We have Bernard Jenkin, the MP for Harwich and North Essex. He's been an MP since 1992. He currently chairs the House of Commons Public Administration and Constitutional Affairs Select Committee. He has been vice chairman of the Conservative Party and had responsibility for candidates until the 7th of November 2006. Also here with us, Caroline Spellman, the MP for Meriden in the West Midlands. She was first elected in 1997. She was also chairman of the Conservative Party. From 2010 to 2012, she was Secretary of State for the Environment, Food and Rural Affairs. Within Westminster, she is a Church Estates Commissioner. And Maria Miller, MP for Basingstoke since 2005. She is a former Secretary of State for Culture, has been Minister for Women and is now Chair of the Women and Equalities Select Committee. And we've Caroline Dynage, who's the MP for Gosport, Stubbington, Leon the Solent and Hillhead. She was elected in May 2010. In May 2015, Caroline was appointed to the dual roles of Parliamentary Undersecretary of State at the Ministry of Justice and Minister for Women and Equalities at the Department for Education, working with Nikki Morgan, the Secretary of State. And we've Margot James, who's been the MP for Stourbridge since 2010. At the end of 2005, David Cameron appointed Margot to the position of Vice Chairman of the Conservative Party for Women's Issues, a position which she held until 2010. She was an A-list candidate. She's now Assistant Government Whip with responsibility for education and equalities. All of our MPs have been supporters of the Conservatives' Women to Win campaign, which Baroness Anne Jenkin is co-chair and co-founder of, along with Theresa May, MP. In 2005, when it began, there were just seven 
17 Conservative Women MPs, representing just 9% of the Parliamentary Party. The Conservative Party can also famously claim the only female Prime Minister of Britain, so far, Margaret Thatcher, elected in 1979. They also have to their credit the first woman MP to take up her seat, the Conservative Lady Astor, in a by-election in 1919. Nancy was by all accounts a very independent woman who took over her husband's seat and campaigned for women's rights. Deborah. Let's start with Bernard Jenkin and Caroline Spellman. Bernard Jenkin, when you first came into the Commons in 1992, there were just 60 women MPs, 9.2%. There were 20 Conservatives, 32 Labour, 2 Lib Dem and one other. What was the atmosphere like in the Commons then? It has been described a bit as a, a boys' boarding school or a scene out of Harry Potter. When you start as a Member of Parliament, it does feel like your first day at school. But it did feel like a boys' school. I mean, there were no women in the Whip's office, for example. There were a limited number of women ministers and a very limited number of colleagues uh, who were women. It made it a very laddish atmosphere. And I can't tell you how it's transformed by the different generations of women that have come in, particularly 2010 and 2015. It has transformed the atmosphere. And there's no doubt that boys behave better when there are girls around. Do you think it was out of step with the times? Yes and no. It's very out of step with the kind of working environment many people expect in the professions, for example. But we see the same barriers or glass ceilings against women in broadcasting and media and newspapers, in, in industry and the city. So it's not out of step in that respect. It's not what people expect, and I think what we need is the House of Commons to be leading, not lagging. You say the culture's changed. How do you judge that? What's changed? Men and women are equal, but we have different life experiences and different life expectations and d different characteristics. Women don't relish confrontation, usually, as much as boys naturally do, and... I think there are different expectations of what is normal behaviour. And, you know, the sheer unconscious or even conscious sexism and banter that would be tolerated amongst men suddenly becomes unacceptable and disrespectful. And I think it must have been very tough for women when there were so few women in the House of Commons. Caroline Spellman, you entered the Commons five years later in 1997 with that large intake of a record 101 women MPs from the Labour Party, thanks to the all-women shortlist. What's your overriding memory of your first few weeks in Westminster? Well, it's all a bit of a blur because it's such a shock to the system. But I was very aware of the large numbers of women on the benches opposite. And the optics of that was that their benches were multicoloured. The diversity was visual. And I, I was very conscious that the benches I was sitting on were a bit monochrome. Just 8% of the Conservative Party were female when I came in in 1997. And I sometimes used to turn to my male colleagues and say, well, you know, do you how would you like to work for an organisation where the employees were 92% female? And, and they simply hadn't thought of it from that point of view. I think the other thing that shocked me was the treatment of the women in the media at the time. You know, this belittling term Blair's babes. I mean, it seemed to me that a lot of the women who'd come in 1997 were professional, um, in some cases significantly older than Tony Blair's, who couldn't possibly be described as a babe. And it was that focus on superficial things, the clothes they were wearing, rather than actually what they had to say and contribute in this place, that I found as a professional coming from a male-dominated profession, agriculture, really shocking. So when did you start to campaign for change? Was it right away? And what did you do? 
Well, it took me a little while to get my head round, you know, the hours of the archaic practices, trying to live in two places, living apart from my children. But I think one of the things that shocked me were the overnight sittings, for which purposes I kept a sleeping bag rolled up in the bottom drawer of my filing cabinet, which I still have in extremis. But, I mean, what a way to work. People were exhausted the following day. And it seemed to me that that is the kind of thing that is going to put a lot of women off coming into politics. I'm pleased to say there have been some changes, but there could be more. Would you call yourself a feminist? Well, I'll tell you something Virginia Bottomley said to me when I arrived. She said, Caroline, if you're not a feminist when you come in here, you will be by the time you leave. So I think, of course, you know, seeing those things that need putting right, that's not somebody else's job. That's just as much my job as Bernard's job, and we need to do this together. Bernard Jenkins, would you call yourself a feminist? Yes. <laughs> Glad to hear it. I mean, who wouldn't be a feminist? Presumably what feminism is, is about according equal respect and equal rights to women. And until we really have 50% women in the House of Commons, we really haven't got a parliament that is truly representative of the country we live in. And that, if that makes me a feminist, then I'm a feminist. Well, talking of representation... On your select committee, on the select committee that you chair, there are three out of 11 who are women members. Is that enough? According to the criteria I've just mentioned, no. But there aren't enough women in Parliament to make equal representation of all our select committees. Certainly, I I mean, at one stage in the last Parliament, the committee had no women on it, and that was terrible. Having three women, I feel fortunate. No doubt, and all the analysis shows this, if you have a board of directors of, say, 11, and you have three women on it, you the chances are you're going to be making better quality decisions as a result because you have different perspectives. You have a more diverse input into the decision-making than you would have if you had just men. Caroline Spellman, have you been active in in increasing women's representation within the House on the committees or as a government minister? Really, I'm most active as a party chairman because that's where you can really influence the profile of a party. So I urge the candidates committee of the Conservative Party to go and headhunt women because it is a fact that 10 times as many men apply to be members of parliament as women and we need to proactively try and increase the number of women coming forward. I think that David Cameron's decision to use 50-50 shortlists in 2010 was really important because the pendulum swung against the Labour Party in that election and a lot of their women were in the marginal seats caught in the swing. So I saw it actually as a moral duty for us to get more women into place to make sure the overall number of women in parliament didn't come down and I, I think that was a very important achievement. And the 50-50 shortlists have the advantage that the women once selected and elected don't suffer the kind of reaction from the constituency that some of the Labour women who had got here on women-only shortlist said that they had had to put up with. Well, thank you very much, Bernard and Caroline, for, for the moment. Now turn to a more recent entrance to the House, Maria Miller, who became an MP in 2005. Now, Maria, you've heard what Bernard and Caroline have to say about the changes in the culture, but what were your first impressions in that time? Well, I joined the House in 2005, and I'd been a company director before that, working in the advertising and marketing business for, well, almost 20 years. And for me, this was very much a career change and coming into a place which I I thought I knew a lot about, but actually when I arrived, I realised I didn't. As Caroline said, the first few days are somewhat of a blur, as with any new job. But what struck me really early on was how masculine Parliament was, and quite unlike any other client or indeed business I'd ever worked in before. So you still felt there was 
quite a lot of that laddish culture left. It's all relative, I guess, and Bernard and, and Caroline have got far more perspective on this than I have, but certainly in 2005, it still felt like a place where, you know, as a woman, you could feel somewhat of an intruder. And I, I think that that was something which was quite a, quite a shock to me. Although I don't think as a new MP, you put reforming parliament at the top of your list of things to do. You know, what you want to do is to represent your constituents. That's your first priority. Well, that's certainly fair enough. As a woman with a family, at that time, three relatively young children you had, didn't you, still? What were those issues that you had to face, as uh, even then, as a woman coming into Parliament, to cope with those family responsibilities too? Well, my youngest son was three when I was elected, and, you know, uh, many other MPs now who've got young children. But at the time, as I found out, that was uh, incredibly different to what many other MPs had done. I think Eleanor Lang had, uh, in our party, had had a, a baby while she was a sitting MP. But, but often what we find with female members of parliament, their children are a bit older when they come in. Again, nobody had told me that. But, you know, what I found from my children's perspective was they were immensely proud of being the only kid in the class with a mum who's an MP. And and that was something which was an extraordinarily strong binding experience for the family, that overwhelming pride. And, you know, I think you just have to include them in as much as you can do as possible. But the logistics of it... I think, remain a considerable problem for people with young children. What was the worst? Well, just literally, how do you make sure that you've got on-call childcare in a place which still, even today, doesn't give you certainty when it comes to sitting as? And I see many of the ladies who are pregnant today, and you know, and it's fantastic having, I think, three members of parliament who are expecting children. But really, they still have no certainty as to when we're going to be finishing at night. And, and the strains that puts on family life are considerable particularly if your children are not located in London. I chose to make sure that my children were in London for that very reason, because of the certainty that you know you're half an hour away if there's a problem. Now, apart from obviously acting as a a female MP and having to cope with your own personal issues, as Secretary of State, what do you feel were the major achievements that, that you may have pushed through or helped push through, and your party as a whole indeed, in pushing forward women's rights in general? Well, I was hugely fortunate that not only was I Secretary of State for Culture, Media and Sport, but I was also Women and Equalities Minister too. And I could work with the other departments on some fundamental reform that David Cameron led in the last government, which was around modernisation of the workplace. So, you know, the right to request flexible working being made available across the board, the, you know, revolutionary introduction of shared parental leave, things which really make an enormous difference to women's lives and also a real commitment to see more women at the top of the companies that we have in this country with the Davis Review and you know the doubling of the number of women in non-executive positions which is is fundamentally important so having had the opportunity of working on those projects but also and I have to say working on the Olympic legacy particularly with some of our news media organizations about how we could at that point continue the increased coverage in women's sport which we saw as a result of the Olympics. Those sorts of things, I, I, I think you can still see very, very much in evidence in the way women are being portrayed in the media, and I think that's a good thing. There are still some very big gaps that are on there, in particular, for instance, the gender pay gap. I mean, I think it was, was reported recently that uh, at the current rate of progress in narrowing that gap, it's something like 54 years still to go before we, we get to equality. I mean, wh- 
Is enough being done for that? Well, th there are still some huge gaps, and that's why I campaigned alongside people like Mary McLeod in the last parliament to make sure that we got an Equality Select Committee so that we could look at those gaps and make sure that we see more progress. I, I think it's interesting to pick up on the gender pay gap because, again, we've seen some significant progress in reducing the gender pay gap for women under the age of 35 to 40. But what my Select Committee is now looking at is the challenge that still faces many women over over the age of 40 um, and what are the problems behind that and we're still collecting evidence and it, it would suggest that clearly whilst you know considerable progress has been made on the provision of childcare you know doubling the amount of early years care that's available free and the in introduction for the first time of tax relief on childcare but there's still a real motherhood penalty at, pay at play and a part-time working penalty which I, I think we probably still need to see some further work on to make sure that the gender pay gap is eliminated far more quickly than is currently the uh, projection. You mentioned the Select Committee, the newly formed Select Committee on Women and Equality, of which you are the chair. Do you think that that signals progress? And you know, how, how would you judge success for a committee like that, let's say in five years' time? What, what would you think you might have achieved well, I, I think it's considerable progress and I think it shows a commitment from people like the Leader of the House, Chris Grayling, and also the Chief Whip as well, Mark Harper, at making sure that we do reform the way that select committees are, are working to, and indeed the Speaker, John Burko, to make sure that they're reflective of the needs of the House today. I think progress in the Women and Equalities Select Committee will be, you know, when we see, you know, gender pay gap being reduced, when we see more women coming into Parliament. and. As with many select committees, you don't think the work of the select committee comes to an end at any particular point in time because select committees have an ongoing role at continuing to raise the bar about what we should be expecting as a society and the way in which we're scrutinising government policy. So I see this as a select committee that's here to stay. Maria, thank you very much for the moment. Order, order.